everyone. I'm Martin Willis, your host. And yes, I'm on my boat. We're going to call this the showboat tonight. Um, so, hey, I have a 5G hotspot. I have great internet on my boat, I discovered the other day. So here I am. Um, and uh, thunderstorms just went past us. So uh, a lobster boat went by a few minutes ago, knocked over the camera. So I'm going to keep my eyes out for that. But those guys get up like at 3 a.m. They're usually done long before now. It always depends on the tides and all that. Here we are off the coast of Maine. And the guest this evening I'm pretty excited about is Chris Leto. Leto and uh, he is a former, uh, he's a retired Lieutenant Colonel uh, F-16 pilot from the Air Force. Uh, those are the uh, single seat uh, planes. I believe they are uh, jets. And he has used a lot of this equipment that uh, the debunkers are talking about in the videos. And he comes up with some real logical answers why their debunking uh, is wrong. So he debunks the debunkers. I know he and uh, Chris, oh, no, I'm sorry, Mick West had a lot of back and forth going on um, over some videos. And actually, it, I think they both admitted that they were wrong about certain things. So it should be a fascinating show tonight. I'm really excited for it. Uh, the blog this week is a, uh, a former uh, blogger wrote uh, Mike Lauk. He wrote this uh, uh, blog about the Allagash incident, which happened up in Maine back in 1976, I think it was. That's a great uh, blog. Check it out. Um, so I want to thank everyone that helps out with the show. Anyone can do that. That information's over at podcastufo.com. And we're going to do the show same as always. Um, I'm not sure how long my, my battery's going to last. I've been trying to figure out how to do that on my my uh, computer, but don't worry. We got it all figured out. I have to, if I have to jump over to my phone, I'll do that. And uh, I hear a lobster boat going by. I thought they were all done for the day. So I got to get ready for the waves here in a little while. But anyway, the guest tonight again is Chris Lado. He'll be coming right up. Um, Jeff Bezos uh, went to uh, space uh, today or yesterday, I think it was successfully there and back so money can buy you about anything i guess but that's another uh, fascinating step in uh in space um in space travel the future of it and uh what you can do i guess if you have a ton of money anyway that's it for uh, my blabbing i'm gonna add chris right now hi chris welcome to the show hi great to be here yeah i've been watching your videos and uh i'm really i was really excited someone sent me a link uh, right away when the first one you did went up and you got a lot of views right away and you made a lot of sense. And so, and, and you're looking pretty, pretty uh, deeply into this topic. And um, the last video you posted today, you said you're going to do a deep dive into the Nimitz case. I'm pretty excited to, um, for your work on that, but let's, uh, let's hear a little bit about your background and, and what made you kind of take the dive into looking at this. Into, into UAPs. Um, so actually, I, I just fell into it, to be honest. Um, uh -huh. Really, when I saw that video, you know, I made the first video it was, uh, I think, end of May. And it was uh, just looking at those three videos, you know, the FLIR, Go Fast, and Gimbal. Uh, and when they said it was legit, you know, declassified, you know, I watched it a few months. Actually, I watched it a few months previous to that. And it, it, it like wouldn't, my brain wouldn't let me process it is kind of uh it took a few months and then I, and then i watched the end of may and that's really kind of when you see me even consider you know uaps in general or 
really anything supernatural. You know, I've, I've always grown up anti-supernatural, if you will. You know, I grew up in Houston, Texas. Um, you know, I went to the Air Force Academy. So right out of, right out of high school, you know, I applied. Um, I honestly didn't think they would let me in, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, but they did actually they let me in the Air Force Academy. And everybody said, it's this amazing opportunity. And, you know, I was kind of a screw up. I felt like I was going to be up to no good, I guess, after high school. Um, and so I just wanted some discipline. And it sounded like something non-standard. You know, growing up in Houston, I would, I, I you know, I just look around in the suburbs of Houston and I would just see everyone's life, you know, and I just remember thinking, I just don't want that. You know, <laughs> I don't want, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't want the suburban house and, you know, the, the nine to five job and the Sunday, you know, going to church and, uh, and all that stuff. So for me, it was a, um, I just wanted I wanted discipline. I wanted something with meaning and something different, I guess. And um, now, did you Air have Force a Academy. private? Uh, did Did you have a private pilot's license ahead of that, or do any flying ahead of that? Uh, nothing. Um, wow. <laughs> you know, I, I, so really, I had a I had a buddy in in my physics class in senior year of high school. Uh, Will Mathis. He's actually a, he's a commander. I don't know if I should name him. You know, if his names are wrong. Uh, but uh, live TV. Uh, so he was. <laughs> he's the commander, I think, now actually of a Hornet squadron. I haven't talked to him in years. You know, we basically lost touch after uh, uh, after high school. But every day in physics class, he would talk to me. Uh, you know, we were we were good buddies, and he would talk about his dad went to Annapolis, and he, um, you know, I think he was a he was a pilot. I'm not sure if he's a fighter pilot actually. Uh, but he explained the whole career, the lifestyle, you know, he explained the pension. Uh, you can fly these, you know, jets, uh, you can live this, you know, this lifestyle. And by the way, school's free. It's amazing education, everything, you know? So I was like, sure, I'll apply. You know, I threw, threw my name in, um, you know, I was in the top 10%. I was always, you know, my parents, they said you had to get good grades and, and, you know, I played sports. So I wasn't like some slouch, you know, but, um, it was never like my dream to be a pilot or, uh, yeah, which is, uh, I kind of feel bad, you know, cause most people that come up to me are like, Hey, what's it like? You know, is it amazing? And I'm like, I mean, yeah, you know, it was, it's very stressful. It was very hard. Um, there's many times it's very exciting. You know, I would say every day is literally, you know, 13 hours packed into 12, you know, it's really, um, you know, you're eating lunch, uh, Snickers most of the time. Um, so most yeah. of the people really want to be, to have that job, you know, they, 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 you know, they clawed for it. They tried their whole life. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, it, yeah, I think that gave me an advantage, actually, um, going into pilot training. Because um, you get up to a certain level. You know, you see that with, like, intense, you know, high-level sports. Uh, mm-hmm. And it really comes down. It's all mental. It's all mental. You know, you look at the the high-level athletes, which I, I think, you know, being a fighter pilot or in, is basically you're like you're in a high-level sports team you know it's 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 tribal it's uh it, you know you're you're in a brotherhood just like you're on any any sports team um you're just playing the stakes are a little bit higher you know or quite a bit higher uh yeah. but you get used to that after a while um but i think in pilot training because i didn't um maybe i didn't it wasn't my live stream i didn't care that much so i had an advantage where i was more relaxed i guess you know like i could uh i could be smoother under the pressure because you know, if I failed, it, it wasn't that as big a deal, I guess, you know. Um, well, they don't, they yeah. don't put, they don't put just anyone in a multi-million dollar machine. You know, I mean, you have a lot of responsibility. They don't want to have, they don't want to lose those. So they, you know, I don't even know what those things cost in F-16. 
you know, um, but they, yeah. a ton of money. <laughs> and yeah, I think it's 30 or 40 million, they say, and then it's, you know, however, yeah. 15,000 an hour, I think, to operator. It's a lot. So, yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. it's a lot. You, and that's the thing. You know, you look at all these these videos when the when people are asking, well, why didn't you think about the the box orb? You know, they're talking to Ryan Graves and those guys, and you see them ask, like, well, why weren't you considering this? It's like, you know, we are doing a mission, like a very serious mission. It's not like... Uh, you're just like, okay, what are we going to do, everybody, when you show up? You know, okay, let's go fly around and we're going to take some pictures and stuff. No, it's like, you know, you've already been the week prior, you know, they've already decided what your mission is going to be. And, and that, and by the way, that was decided, you know, months prior based on the training program for the, uh, for the weapon system officer, you know, whoever is your, your squadron weapons officer who's going to develop the training program, you know, everyone takes this stuff very, very seriously. You know, you get in a fighter squadron, yeah. and there's no, uh, uh, yeah, it's not like you're really, you're, you, there's a lot of joking around, you know, there's this culture of, of messing around, you know, the 69, the 420, all these, all these little interior jokes, but even those are taken very seriously, you know, it's, a uh, to a T. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a very serious, uh, it was a very serious career. Uh, I, I really enjoyed many aspects of it. Very stressful as well. And, um, yeah, so yeah. That, that's basically, yeah. You know, the typical uh, commercial pilot, you ask them, what's it like? And they say 12,000 hours of boredom for every 15 seconds of horror or something like that. You know, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's their, their answer to it. Um, but but one of the things I do want to talk to you about, um, you if you're in an F-16, you're alone. You don't have the whatever the Wevo, whatever they call the guy in the back or the person in the back, woman or man. Um, you don't have the weapons operator in the back. Um, so you have to do everything yourself. Um how how long i mean how intense is that to figure out how to do everything while you're in like to say if you're in a combat situation what type of training would you have to get for that and then i want to go into the equipment how it is similar to what these videos you have seen um you know what you had that you dealt with that uh, you see that are that these videos are coming up they have the same equipment more or less right yeah, so that's basically I flew my career starting kind of the same time. You know, I started flying F-16s in 2004. So right when the Nimitz, you know, videos effectively came out. So the FLIR video uh, is from 2004. And the equipment, the internal equipment is is basically I would, I would argue to guess exactly the same, right? Um, the internal pod equipment. Um, but they do modify it somewhat to deal with each aircraft. You know, the like on the FLIR video, um, and I do have uh, some some pictures that I can show if you want to show as well um, sure. from the FLIR video. Yeah. But um, yeah, so there's it's it's essentially the exact same equipment. Is your it's called a FLIR pod? They call a FLIR pod uh, in the Navy, but we just called it a, a Tarni pod. So. You know, and then they go through advanced targeting pods. You're always getting new upgrades uh, in the Navy and Air Force. So they're always adding on uh, new equipment. But the actual equipment itself is exactly the same. There's a there's a, only a couple minor differences, like on the FLIR video. If you look in, in the F-16, uh, to get a reference of where the pod is actually pointing, right? Because uh, I... I mentioned that in my video today, the targeting pod, really what it does is provide very accurate uh, angle um, and, and passive. So it, it passively tracks a target, which is, uh, which is very dangerous, right? Or very effective in a, 
in a combat environment because they the, whatever you're tracking doesn't know that you're tracking it, right? So it's a passive tracking system. Um, but in the F-16, we don't have the bearing and azimuth. So we don't have the azimuth and bearing that you see on the FLIR scope. So at the top, it'll say a little one left or, or seven left. Uh, that means it's the pot is pointing seven degrees to the left. In the F-16, we actually don't have that number. We have a little, it's called an, a, a situational awareness dot. And it's just a little square pixel that shows, it's just a, you know, a visual representation of where the pod is looking. Uh, I actually like the Navy's setup better. You know, I think it's more accurate um, to do the, the FLIR pointing. Um, but that is the basic, uh, the targeting pod. And, and so when I saw those videos, specifically, I think it was the gimbal one, but it was essentially Mick West was on uh, CNN, I believe, and he was saying that this this gimbal video is somehow some airliner at range, and it's just it's just so preposterous to me, <laughs> you know. When I looked at the video, uh, that I had to speak up, and that's really when I made that kind of inflammatory video against Mick West, uh, and that is, in, in many ways, that's kind of propelled my, you know, whatever, it, it basically, that video went somewhat viral, if you will. I think Chris Mellon shared it because uh, everybody's just kind of tired of Mick West, I think, is, is my impression uh, of the debunkers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, you know, you and I talked a bit off off air, and I, I mentioned to you that um, I had, you know, basically I had Mick West say that you know, he agreed after he listened to Kevin Day that um, it couldn't be, you know, a commercial plane. And then two weeks later, he was on another TV station saying that it was. So even though he admitted he was wrong, um, he he kept he kept to it. And what about your dealings with Mick West? Because you two battled it out pretty good, didn't you? You know, yeah, with videos. Yeah, so it was basically, we never actually uh, talked to each other. You know, um, I, actually, so I did. You know, I, I didn't have a lot of communication set up. So I was a new YouTube. So I retired in August, right? I basically spent like five months. I was writing. Uh, you know, I, I wrote a book essentially that I'll hopefully publish. You know, maybe later, later this year. And then I just started YouTubing end of uh, November. So it's really been about seven or eight months. I hadn't had any infrastructure set up. You know, I'm, I'm just so happy I don't have a boss, you know, or any employees at this point. You know, I'm, a, I'm actually to able to do some meaningful work that I'm that I'm enjoying. You know, it's challenging and I don't have any employees uh, or, or a boss. So so that's excellent. So we, we actually never talked uh, on Twitter. You know, we never contacted me. I didn't even have an email up, you know, even if he tried. Uh, I bet if he tried somewhat hard, he could have, you know, just messaged me on Twitter or something. Um, yeah. Uh, we have, just by the way, we have Gary Voorhees in, uh, in chat. Are you familiar with who he is? On the He was on the Princeton? I've, or, yeah, I've read his name, actually. Um, but, you know, honestly, I just got into this six weeks ago. So as far as many of the names, you know, just, yeah. I just uh, got uh, some essay on Kevin Day, you know, uh, reasonable so I'm, I'm barely getting spun up uh, on all this stuff no i don't know right well um i have uh I, I just have a situation here unfortunately someone called me a luddite and i understand that that's a, a guy with that has a lot of tech problems <laughs> and uh today on i uh, i'm on a boat and today <laughs> i i tried a uh con an inverter to uh ch charge my laptop anyway 
I'm down to 20%. It's eating the battery quickly. So, uh, Bill, I'm going to need you to come up because I can't run this thing. I hate to say this live, Bill, but I can't uh, run this thing and get in on my phone at the same time. I'm going to have to have you come right in, Bill, if you would. I am here. And it's great to see Gary and Chad and Dave and all the folks that are hanging out in the chat room. Um, all right. I'm staying you, you by. Gotta take over for take over for now. When you see me in, Bill, bring me in. OK. So what was your take, uh, Chris, when this UAP report, did you do any research on it, um, on the background of it and the involvement of supposedly these cases that were involved? Um, what was your take on the whole UAP report? So, yeah, so I came into the whole UAP in general, NMA, like I said, and then uh, I got wind of the UAP report. I was I was very excited, actually, and I didn't know what to expect. Um, it looks like you have... A lot of people are really disappointed with the report that came out. Um, I guess I had no expectations in, in any sense, uh, but now I've been going back and you know looking through the old report. So on my channel today, I posted, you know, I found this uh, a video. I think a subscriber pointed it out, and um, it was basically from 1952 uh, when they just had uh, whatever you know UFO reportings over DC. And it was the Air Force General, Major General Samford, and he he gives a he gives his uh, I guess you know words at a press conference about flying saucers, and it sounds very similar to what <laughs> what we're hearing today. Uh, but I guess what's the benefit of what I was happy to see in the in the, the new report is they gave specific numbers. Right. You know, once once you give a number, it's pretty hard to go back. You know, that's why, you you know, you don't give numbers and business dealings, et cetera, because once you say that number, now they have something to hang on. And so I was happy to see, you know, they that had to get approved. You know, everyone basically had to say, you know, yes, you can send out that information. And so from the UAP report, what I was really happy about was first you have the you have 80 incidents where you have corroborating data. So multiple sensors. And I think this is just so key. Uh, one of the points I wanted to bring up for this uh, for this podcast is just multiple sensors, you know, because what can you trust really when it comes down to what what can you believe, what can you trust, and if it's just a video, it, you know, it's it just really limits limits your options, you know. But now, if we have multiple sources, if we have multiple sources of something, it really knocks out all of the debunking claims. You know, it, it's you know if it's if it's hovering in thirty knots of wind, it is not a balloon. You know, I know that, you know, yeah. there's certain things you can just knock out. Like, I know it's not an airliner at, you know, 40 miles if I have a, a corroborating radar cut that shows it at five miles. So it just immediately, as soon as you have, you know, corroborating data from multiple sensors, um, then uh, that just ups your, your, I guess, the, the water tightness yeah. of, of the case. The public. Uh, would love to get more of this information. Obviously, a lot of this is classified for the obvious reasons. And I think that's what the public is, is is cringing for. They want that information. So they get to see that there's multiple sources uh, corrobor you know, the, corroborating the, what's going on. And maybe, just maybe, that with everything that's going on, this whole movement going forward, because in the, in the report it said that the, the Air Force had little historic uh, data on this, which I find bizarre. Um, going back decades, uh, Project Blue Book and, and some of the other um, investigations. But would you think that this will encourage 
pilots that are now active duty to come forward and speak about the things that they may be witnessing? I, yeah, you, without a doubt. Yeah, without a doubt. You think so? You know, because I, I mean, I have, you know, I had very, basically nothing to lose. You know, that's why I can, I basically set it up where I don't, I've gotten to a position in my life where I don't, I physically don't care what anyone else thinks, you know, and I've, I've been able to make that happen, <laughs> you know, and, and I phrase it every day. I'm like, so happy. Uh, you know, I try and, you know, really just uh, enjoy it, enjoy the time, I guess, because I'm just waiting for it to end. Um, but basically that's only, be, only because I, I have effectively nothing to lose essentially um, that I'm able to speak, you know, and I, and I don't, uh, I don't really fit in with the fighter world. You know, it's, uh, I'm not uh, like an outcast or something, but, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I'm your standard fighter pilot, you know, if you will. Uh, I think your standard fighter pilot is like Lieutenant Commander or Commander Fravor. You know, when I, that's, that's what he brought me over to, to, to the, to the, the believing side or possible to believe, you know, I can't even actually say I believe, um, but it's a possibility now. And I think before now, before I saw Fravor's interview with Lex Friedman, it just wasn't a possibility. You know, and I've and I've seen that now uh, uh, with I've seen the bias get removed. You know, is if you really just cannot imagine that that it is even possible that there could be alien life, you know, on Earth, um, then it doesn't matter kind of what I can show you, um, you know, until you experience it or, or something. I, I think it, it's very difficult, um, I guess, to to believe or to even think that it's a possibility. You know, so I would say. Uh, but Fravor did it, you know, and, and although I don't have much to lose, I have something to lose, you know, like I'm not going to waste my time. I don't, you know, I don't waste my effort. Um, so Fravor, you know, he convinced me because when I, when I listen to that three hour podcast, you know, the, the things he says, um, you know, I've lived it. Um, I guess what a lot of people don't realize, and I guess it's part, and I tried to write it in my book. Um, is that you, you actually kind of meld with these machines. It's, it's like a, um, it's, it's one system. So when you're, when you're in a fighter, you know, the pilot is really, at least in the older jets is the brains, you know, where the pilot is to fuse the, the information is really doing sensor fusion. You know, we talk about the fifth generator fighter, fifth generation fighters, the F-22s, F-35s. This new capability they have is called sensor fusion. It's one of the one of the tenets of fifth generation fighting, and it, and and really that is you're taking all of the information you know that these systems can can fuse or can gather, and then it's picking the most important information, and and using that, um, and that's the sensor fusion, and and that's really what the pilots did before. And I think Martin he asked at the beginning, you know, what does your training involve as you use up your your training to use all these systems. Uh, and that's really what it involves is uh, interpreting the information from these systems uh, and then understanding which system is the most important at the right time. And that's really sensor fusion uh, it is really picking the critical sensor uh, and, and corroborating from multiple sensors, you know, because uh, if you look, you also yeah. have the implement implementation because um, they're doing it now with the AI uh, aspect of it. Um, you're going to have actual wingmen that are AI drones that are going to do a lot of the work for the pilot, maybe doing uh, uh, reconnaissance ahead of them or as a support group. So it's, it is it, what you're saying is true because it almost reminds me of that old movie Firefox where all, yes. the, all, the, 
you know, not we're not there yet. Exactly, we're not there yet. But it's it seems like it's more and more going to that direction. But the one thing I will say about the pilots um, in active service, I'm sure because they're still on active duty, a lot of this would be held behind uh, closed doors, classified setting because they're still um, in service. I, I don't see. Do you see this happening in public hearings with pilots that are currently on active duty uh, participating in a public hearing, or you think it'll be all classified? I, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I have. A, I'm not sure. I mean, there shouldn't be anything that stops people from talking. You know, it, yeah. you can ask me a question, and I'll just say, "Look, I, you know, I can't answer that." Right. You know, I mean. Exactly. So it's really. What is the motivation for it? You know, who is going to orient this? You know, I don't know if the military could actually physically stop a pilot from speaking if he wants to, right? If he's going to speak about something, say he saw some UAP, right? And he wants to go speak on, let's say he wants to come on my channel, you know? I don't think the military can actually say, can actually stop you. I I mean, I don't know. I'm no lawyer or whatever. Um, But I, I guess they would have to give you an order. You know, don't, you know, don't go saying anything. Um, but I don't know. It's it's untrapped. You know, I think that was the kind of the the point is they didn't have a way to report any of this stuff. Right. You know, you're not even if you bring it up. You know, say you bring it up to your uh, to someone in your squadron. How would you how report, would you report it? it? The only way I can think is is through the safety channels. Uh, but what if it's not a safety incident? Like you see this thing, you know, five miles away, you have some gas to burn because you're waiting, you know, for the next engagement. And so you like fly over there and try and check it out. I could see that happening. And then you see something. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know if the military has the jurisdiction to say like, you know, you cannot talk. Uh, I'm sure they do. I'm sure they do. But, uh, <laughs> well, Martin is I, back. It's, it was great having these few minutes with you, Chris. And I just want to say on behalf of everyone at KGRA, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners, thank you for your service yeah, and your you're sacrifices. And God bless you and your family. Yeah. Thank you, Bill. See you later. You. You're welcome. You. So, uh, yeah, interesting. Uh, I couldn't see a lot of that, but I was backstage for a little bit of it. And one of the things I, I thought of while you two were talking is what about the um, the NDAs or the, when things are classified, you were, it seems like you were talking about that. I, I've always wondered about that because I think it's pretty interesting that David Fravor can talk about what he saw, yet other people that were involved in the same incident are supposedly can't talk about um, some of the data and stuff like that, which I think is really bizarre. Yeah, so I did. I actually wrote, had a note for NDAs. You know, there was a um, Lou Elizondo. Uh, he was on um, Theory of Everything. I don't know if you saw that. Yep. Uh, that pot. Yeah. So he had a question there. Mick West. You know, we were talking about him. He had a question. You know, why doesn't he just give up his NDA? You know, if it's so critical. Uh, and Lou, you know, he was pretty offended. I didn't know yes. he actually gave up his. He gave up his pension. He said. Yes. Uh, yeah. That is a big deal. I mean, that is that is the carrot uh, for the military. You know, I I probably wouldn't have stayed in twenty years uh, if it didn't have a pension. Um, I, yeah. I, they kept giving me amazing assignments, actually. Uh, so I stayed in. But he gave that up. And what I wanted to mention is it's not like an NDA in the uh, in the civilian world. You know, you say NDAs, but, you know, I, I never remember signing an NDA. You know, I signed 
I swore an oath, you know, like to defend uh, the Constitution. I signed a lot of things saying I will never speak about this or, you know, um, but mainly it's like it's it's stronger than an NDA. It is, um, you know, we want anyone who's been in a combat, if you go into a combat zone, you get what's called Siri level training, you know, um, survival, evasion, resistance, um, uh, and then whatever the is the last E is. So oh, sorry, live stream. Uh, so Siri, you actually get trained in POW training, and so, wow. and that is classified. We can't talk about that, but I'll t- I'll tell you, um, you can guess what POW training involves. You know, and it probably involves practice POWing, uh, and so this is part of the engage. You know, that's for a week training. You know, and so. And you have friends that died, you know, and they didn't give up the information. So it's like it's not about an NDA. It's 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 stronger than an NDA. It is a it's like a blood pact, um, you know, and we're just not going to and especially any fighter pilots or any operators, you know, anyone who's had to, you know, at least put their life into someone else's hands in a combat environment or something. um, You're not just going to give that up. Is right. what I'm saying. You know, people can torture me and try and get information, and I'm everyone breaks essentially. Supposedly, everyone breaks, but they're not going to get the right information. You know, and and so That's it's right. just, um, yeah. it, it, or I'm going to do my damnedest not to let it happen. You know, it's so it's it's not like I'm just signing an NDA. You know, I went to work at Google. You know, and like I'm signing this NDA. No, it is uh, much more serious than that, and he when i saw lou i was like yeah he's not he's not gonna break this you know like yeah he's just like not gonna said, do he it really- he already and he gave up his pension already like what more do you what more yeah. do you need and he yeah he, uh, he really was upset um it was actually mick west that posed the question to him um that was uh the the person that the uh host yes. read and uh when he read it uh lou got really upset he said are you going to come visit me every day in jail you know, yes. Uh, yeah. Are you gonna are you gonna pay my mortgage? You know, are you going to you know, and all this stuff. Um, so yeah, he has you know he has a lot to lose. Um, so let me it's, just. Ask it's you. not that. Yeah, it's more. It's an honor integrity thing. I guess I I, sure. I should put it that way. Yeah. 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 I, I know that's kind of how it is. The band of brothers, um, and and sisters. Um, so have you while you were flying? Let me just ask you this. Um, I, I did speak to a. Uh, and a pilot, Air Force pilot, one time that told me he had a, a UFO encounter for miles and miles and miles. A green orb was following him. But had you ever seen anything weird, or had you ever heard of anyone personally um, who talked about it and is seeing anything? Yeah, no, ne- you know, negative to both questions. You know, uh-huh. I wish. Um, again, you're just you're just not looking for it. You know, if if I took you on a fighter mission, you know, I think you'd be very your, your eyes would be open. Um, you, you know, it's just uh, the, the amount of uh, thinking that's going on. You, you know, you're just sweating in the jet, you know, just just because you're looking at so many things. You're thinking about so many things. Am I in formation? Am I doing the correct thing? What's the frequency? You know, what's the mission? What's the plan? I just never thought of it. You know, it just never came up. Uh, I was never that's where, you know, I wasn't vectored onto anything. Um, and from the report, we, we kind of mentioned it a couple times. Uh, the two big things from the UAP report was the the multiple sensors, right? I've already talked to that uh, quite a bit. It's very important. But the other thing was the 11 uh, flight safety incidents. 
because if it's a flight safety incident, I was I was a flight safety officer. You know, I'm sure uh, I got the safety stink on me, as they as they call it. Uh, you have to file uh, these reports if it's a hazardous air traffic report, so a hatter. Yeah. So, like, if you have to, if you have to, if a commercial airliner, for instance, has to change their uh, direction of flight and it impacts some other thing, it could cause a close pass or something. You would have to file a hatter. Uh, you know, I've had it's happened a few times throughout my career. Just you know, I heard about it. Uh, someone was mad at the tower. You know, they they turned them into another another plane and they almost hit. So. So they fired a, a hazardous air traffic report, and so mm-hmm. in the UAP in the UAP report there there was eleven of these, uh, which I also thought was was interesting uh, because what that means is the pilots they either they decided to file it because they had to move or they were forced to file it because they came too close uh, to one of these objects. So mm. those I'm really interested in those eleven because that means they were probably visual. Uh, you know, visual means the pilot sees uh, sees the object, and, and it, that is kind of ambiguous in a, in a few of these instances. Even like Chad Underwood, you know, as I was researching today, listening to some of his interviews on the Nimitz, uh, when he filmed that FLIR interview or the FLIR video, uh, he actually never saw it with his eyes, you know. And the, well, the pilot's in front, you know, so that's why I'm like, well, did the pilot see it? You know, I have a question, did the pilot see it? Uh, another interesting point I didn't know from that uh, that I found out today is that the other commander also saw it. So in one of an interview I, I was just reading with Chad Underwood, he said that, um, yeah, he didn't see it with his eyes, but he, he does know that Commander Fravor saw it and uh, the Hornet commander who was out there. I don't know who that was. I mean, I'm sure we could find it out. Sorry if I just outed him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Chad, Chad Underwood did already. So that, that would be my question. You know, what did that guy see? He's it, So would, would that guy come out potentially, you know, and, and I hope maybe if enough people talk about it, uh, you know, maybe they'll be willing to come on, you know, some channel like mine, you know, where it's, I'm not going to like, uh, you know, hopefully I won't bring Mick, Mick West there and challenge it, but <laughs> maybe yeah. they would, you know, maybe they will. So that would be the hope. I, I think, yes, people will come out. And I think it's, it's Commander Fravor. It's Chris Mellon. You know, even Jeremy Corbell, just the people getting that information declassified. Well, here's here's a question for you now that you brought up Jerry, Jeremy Corbell. Um, he's been on the show a few times. But the, the question I have for you is, why is he getting these videos? And how, how can he get these videos and the person giving him the videos not get into any type of trouble doing it? I, I don't know, actually, um, hmm. because it, it's interesting because the military gets in a pickle, right? Because there's nothing in that video that's classified, right? If you look at those videos, there's nothing. So that that bridge, you know, at least the what they're showing, you know, the flare image, uh, that radar image, which actually is from the, the spinning. It's not the sea giraffe radar. It's actually that uh, sea marine radar, actually, I think is, is what's actually that screen. I think it's wrong in my video. Um, but either way, that that those screens are not classified. You know, I think they keep talking about this information center, the CIC, you know, the combat information center. I think that's like the brains of the ship. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so I think that is that's down in the depths. And that's where you're going to get the sea giraffe radar. You know, you're going to get that'll be classified, I think. So that video, you know, is going to be too classified to where anybody filming that now, because you're filming a classified screen, 
or the information you're filming is classified. So that's where it's obvious you're going to get in trouble. Uh, but now here, these videos like Jeremy Corbell has is there's nothing in the video that's classified. So um, so he must have some I haven't spoken to him about it, but he must have some type of connection where people know his interests and they are feeding him this material when they realize that it's not going to get them in trouble. I mean, that's the only thing I can figure out. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Honestly, I don't know. Obviously, he has sources that will trust him, you know, unless it's fraudulent. I, I don't think it is. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it looks it looks legit. He has sources that will trust him and, and maybe there just wasn't an outlet or they didn't feel there was any other outlet. You know, I, I was kind of surprised, actually, that the the reaction I got, you know, because I've been making all you know videos for six months and I got no real reaction with my videos. Uh, and then all of a sudden. You know, I have this huge spike, you know, getting all these, all these, uh, all these hits, if you will. So I just think there wasn't, there's not many people in the business, you know, you know, it's not like I'm special. Like I haven't even seen a UAP, you know, I'm not even one of the pilots or Wizzos, uh, that has seen anything. Uh, it's just, I'm, I'm actually making videos about it or investigating it, I guess is, is the difference. Yeah. Well, you know, you, you said a lot of things straight. And, you know, one of them, I know, uh, for instance, today I watched the video that you published about six or seven hours ago where you talked about uh, the Tic Tac and how it, when it goes off screen, a lot of people are saying, well, that's the angle of the camera, the camera's moving or whatever. But you very clearly pointed out that it's looking straight ahead and that it's not, it only moves like a very small 1% or something like that, only even one degree or whatever it is. And the thing does go off. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, easily seen, you know, if, if you so Mick West, he has a video uh, where he basically says it's just the camera losing lock. Right. So the, the Tardian pods yeah. are looking at the object and it, it's not really the object that's zooming off the screen. Right. It's the the targeting pod is losing lock and it's just going off to the right. Right. It's basically just going off to the right. Um, but yes, it's, that's easily seen. Like I was explaining, the differences between the F-16 and the F-18 targeting pod, we don't have that little azimuth indicator. You know, I'd have to look at this little pixel dot, you know, and see it move. But the F-18 has that, and you can see just very clearly that it doesn't move. You know, the camera does not move. I, I you know, from a, the the deep dive, I'll have to actually go in and confirm that it, it, the field of view of the targeting pod is not is greater than one degree, but I, I'm, I'm pretty sure it is. You know? So I don't know if you heard this, but um, I was alerted to it the other day. Now I didn't hear it personally, but a person I trust uh, told me about it. A listener of this show that I've known a long, long time that Lou Elizondo said that there's a possibility of a 23 minute video being released. One of the things that um, a lot of people bring up in these videos is well, first of all, they say they're very blurry, uh, but um, it's just the type of um, camera that has captured it. You know, the what are the, whether it's you know the night vision, the flur, or whatever. But um, this video supposedly is going to be 23 minutes of uh, more than one UAP in a situation, and hopefully, we'll get to see that sometime soon. Yeah, I he's in that same podcast uh, on theory of everything theories of everything he was very optimistic actually on he said this next month would be pretty interesting or very interesting he said 
He said that before, and you know what? And it was. <laughs> he was saying some okay, things were going to happen. They seemed to happen right right after he said that. So you know, he has a really good inside, uh, as you mentioned, Chris Mellon as well. So yeah, I'm really glad that these people have come forward. You know, I will tell you this: a few years ago, you wouldn't have paid any attention to this um, no. this whole topic. You know, ever since the New York Times article came out and all those people did that work, but you know, before that happened, um, that has changed everything and made people like you actually feel more safer looking at this topic without the ridicule factor so much, worrying about it. So yeah, much. 100%. Um, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, it's uh, it's really flavor. So uh, what I was saying earlier is that um, you end up kind of melding with these machines, you know, because you spend thousands and thousands of hours. Uh, insane. That's just flight hours. You know, I have what uh, – uh, 1850 some odd flight hours. Wow. Uh, but for, for every hour that I have flying a fighter, uh, you know, I have one or two hours flying simulators. Yes. Uh, and again, all of it is using these systems. You know, all you're focusing on is uh, how to use the the fighting system uh, to accomplish the mission, right? And, and you do that through using the targeting pod, through using these night vision goggles, through using the radar, and through using your own eyeballs. So what happens after a while, though, is is this um, you tend to meld uh, with with the machine. So uh, I know it sounds, I guess, weird, but you you can anticipate things. And you so when I see something in the targeting pod, uh, it means more to me. I guess you know it, it means more to me. It's because I'm used to looking through that. Uh, I'm used to looking through that spectrum. If it makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so you, you'll hear, you know, we hear the radar. So when radar hits a fighter, when radar hits my fighter, uh, I can tell by the, the, the frequency of the radar warning receiver what type, of, what type of radar it is. You know, I can tell if it's a friendly fighter just by how it's hitting, uh, how it's the, the type of radio frequency, radar frequency. Um, you know, the night vision goggles, yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but when you are locked on, you know that, don't you? You have all kinds of like warnings going off that you have a lock on, correct? It, it, it depends. <laughs> it depends, right? So part of it is, is understanding how all these systems interrelate. Um, so sometimes you have a lock, but you don't have a lock with all your systems. And that's what we see in, the, in these videos, which is also very confusing. Because normally in, the, in these targeting pod videos, you will also have a radar locked to it, right? Because... You're going to have all of your sensors looking at the same target and to identify it. Okay, you can't split up. You can have your radar tracking other things. You can you can make it go weird, you know, but uh, uh, generally you want all of your sensors. So I, what Chad Underwood said, you know, basically when he went to, to find the Tic Tac is the ship gave him a vector. Okay, so the ship was seeing it with its radar. I'm assuming the SPY-1 radar, you know, and then it, it told him where to go. So it gave him a vector to intercept it. And then he used his radar, uh, and so he painted it with his radar, and then he was able to tr- to lock it, okay? But locking with your radar, uh, normally you would just get a stable track. You know, it'll show up. You know, I, I see a little blip on my radar screen. I move the cursors with my left thumb, and then I team us forward to command a lock. It's different in the, in the Hornet. Okay, I was starting to learn it in DCS. Uh, but then the radar will do its best to try and focus more energy onto that target. 
so that it can give a weapons quality track, okay? Because otherwise, it's, it's just kind of tapping a target. So it's not spending all of its energy just focusing on one single target. It's, it's scanning through the sky. So you can't have like some wily fighter come down low or something. Um, so when you're commanding a lock, what you're really doing in that case is you're telling the radar uh, to give you a, a weapons quality track. Tell me exactly where this thing is. Just stare at it with all of your energy. Um, but with a targeting pod now, which is what, what we see in all these videos, you know, the Flare 1, Go Fast, and Gimbal, um, it has a passive lock, so it works. It works different. It actually uses the screen, so it uses just the screen to process the little pixels on the screen, and it tries to pick out a target just based on on its uh, processing. So for that, it will just lock the little uh, whatever's in its processing to to do a object tracking, uh, which is I think they call it auto track. So he does initially. Chad Underwood he says he's able to lock it on radar. Uh, which is surprising, although he does say it actually goes from 50 feet up to 50,000 feet as well. So he's seeing a lot of erratic altitude cuts on his on his radar. Um, but either way, they're able to lock it and then get to within range to lock it with the targeting pod. Um, but what you'll see is they have no range. So it keeps saying 99.9 uh, ranging. Uh, normally, that would tell you exactly how far you are to the target. So the radar will either tell you, and then it'll, in the F-16 anyway, it'll it'll have a little F next to the range. So it'll say like F 3.4 miles. And in my HUD, it'll come up F 3.4. So I know that it comes, that range comes from my radar and I have a valid radar track. Um, if it says something else now, so it probably, it did not say, or I know it didn't say F uh, with a range because it didn't have a range. Uh, and which is interesting because all of these intercepts, you'll notice uh, there's no range. And so that means the radar is not uh, either they couldn't get a lock, which is what they said in the Nimitz, um, or it 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 uh, denied their lock, broke their lock, et cetera. Interesting. And and also you would would you see yourself, would you see a transponder on another craft or would that only be for ground based radar? Uh, it depends. So if you have an interrogator, so uh, I've flown with an interrogator a few times. It depends on the aircraft. Uh, so basically, if you have an interrogator, then you, you push a little button in the F-16. It's like a, a little thumb left, and it will interrogate wherever your radar is looking. So your scan volume of your radar is usually like plus or minus 60 degrees. You know, it's pretty much out in front of you. Um, it will scan through there and just say, hey, transponders out there you know, give me a hit back and that will tell you, uh, what their IFF, you know, friendly or foe identification, friendly or foe, uh, will come back as, yeah. um, but normally you have to, uh, activate it. Um, but it, it's an amazing tool. I mean, if you have an interrogator, it's, it's, yeah, it's, I'd almost take it over a radar in, in a, in a civilian environment, you know, cause it tells me where all the, where all the civilian aircraft are. So I don't like run into you guys, you know, basically, <laughs> um, now, I, I, I do in this, this when we go, in, go into the second hour, I want to talk about specific videos, but uh, and we're going in about seven minutes. We're going into our uh, five-minute break, and and this can be a little tricky. I'm on the phone here, um, so but hopefully Bill will be able to pull that all off. And um, But anyway, uh, it, I, I have a friend, Lee Spiegel is his name, and he was researching years ago in the um, Air Force Academy flight school handbook 
there was a chapter on unidentified objects. And I'm wondering, do you recall anything about that in flight school? Because they did remove it. Never. Yeah, never. Yeah. And was that ever talked about in flight school? I mean, it, I mean, it's not something you would think about, but would you think about it? No. Yeah. I mean, literally never thought of it. Literally. Like I thought, uh, you know, I've heard, I heard of Roswell. Um, I, I didn't really think anything of it, you know. Um, I, I will say I had a, I had a chemistry teacher at the Air Force Academy and he had said it was, it was humans. That's all I remember. This is like the only encounter I ever had in aliens is he was a chemistry teacher and supposedly he just said, yeah, yeah, it's humans. He was, I, I don't know if he had, but again, this was in 2000. How would he know it was still 50 years before? So, yeah. uh, but nothing. So no, nothing about unidentified flying objects. Uh, you know, we're worried about like, you know, chemical weapons training, you know, am I wearing my chem mask correctly? Um, not failing, you know, passing emergency procedures, all the mission elements, not, never on, on UFOs or UAPs or honestly, yeah. up until up until six weeks ago, I honestly thought I, I was in line with the science community that the universe is just too big based on the size, uh, you know, based on light speed. There's no way it is absolutely impossible. Anything could get here uh, within, you know, a few hundreds, thousands at the minimum years. Um, so I just never considered it, you know, as yeah. a, even a possibility, it, which is kind of crazy, I guess. It is. And, you know, I mean, one of the things that I think is kind of strange, and uh, I've heard someone else talk about this, is um, it seems like most of the media out of this report spawned headlines of it's not aliens. You know, uh, I talked about this last week, Lawrence Krauss whatever it is, it ain't aliens. That was the title of his. Um, but that seems like to be the focus. And they, they never said that there was no definitive no, that it's not. It's just that it might be something, it might be something else, you know? So I don't understand where everyone got that attitude all of a sudden that, you know, it has nothing to do with extraterrestrial. And I'm not saying that I know that it does either, but I'm just saying that it's definitely a possibility and it should be in the running for the totally unexplained things. And uh, you'll see that coming up in a few minutes um, in a, in a clip I'm going to run during the break. But uh, uh, yeah, that's that's what I saw is Chris Mellon, you know, um, in his recent review, that was his point. His argument is that's all he was happy with the report. Actually, he was happy with the report that they came out and, but he was unhappy with the the media reaction. And he said the media's reaction is it's not aliens, which is not the case. I think I may, I think I may have just gotten that statement from something I heard him say that kind of made me think about it some more. That might've been where I first heard someone talk about it. Yes. That was Chris Mellon. Right. Yeah. He wrote it in, in that UAP response uh, in his letter, you know, about the UAP report. Uh, he basically says that, that he's not happy with the media's response uh, and that they just say it's not aliens. Uh, and his argument is, you know, if it's if it's not us, it's not the Russians or the Chinese, then, you know, who is it? Uh, yeah, that was kind of his point is why is it off the table? Why is it off the table? Well, um, yeah. you know, I'm wondering if there's going to be more funding uh, for the research 
of that or not. Um, you know, we'll we'll see what the future holds. There are some people that uh, think that it should be researched. I don't think it shouldn't. You know, I mean, I, I think it would be crazy if they didn't put some money into um, what is what people are seeing out there. I mean, and it's not just the military. Um, you know, I mean, that's what they're focusing on, but it's not just the military. I mean, there's a, there's a lot more people in the world than military people. So um, there's a lot of credible witnesses all over that are seeing something. And I think it's, I think it just takes the point where someone has to have a sighting themselves before they realize that, well, hey, wait, maybe there is something to this, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And th- and that's really what I feel when I when I listen to the Fravor interview is that's what I had is, is I feel like I was there um, because the way he explains it, and I've been in that same exact situation. I know everything he's talking about. Um, it's kind of like I was there, you know, and I'm seeing this uh, as he sees it, um, you know, cause you do so much chair flying too. When you're, when we're flying, we chair fly so much. And, uh, and so you're just always mentally going through the processes. And so that was the difference for me. It's, so I've never experienced uh, I will, you know, uh, if the aliens want to experience with me, my email is on, you know, it's on my YouTube about page. <laughs> like, Cause I want to know, man, I want to know, like, but it's, it's just, it's disheartening. It is right. Because you look, I mean, 69 years ago, the air force was saying essentially this, the same, you know, they, they got radar hits, uh, they launched the aircraft and they looked and it was, uh, red and orange lights. You know, and then and they don't know what it is, uh, but they're sure it's not a menace to us. You know, if if they don't know what it is, then how can they be sure that it's not a threat? Is my my biggest question. But they say it like straight face, you know. And this is military people. Like, I guarantee any military person's like, no, no, I want to know what it is. <laughs> you know, I want to yeah. know what it is, and then I'll determine if it's a threat. But here they are now. Now the now the military says, well. We know it's not a threat, uh, but we have no idea what it is, you know, uh, which yeah. is it's it's like you said, 69 years ago, the same, almost the same thing is being said. You know, I mean, that's pretty ironic. And uh, I saw that clip. I've run that clip, too, on this show before. Um, and it's very interesting. So we're going to give it a go. Bill, I hope you're right on top of this. And uh, we have a five minute break and we have a clip here from The View of uh of uh tyson um neil degrasse tyson and i think you're going to find it pretty interesting and please uh wait for the very last part make sure you listen to that so we're going to go into the break right now hang in there over at kgr radio we'll be right back right after these messages anticipated pentagon investigation found no evidence these ufos were alien spacecraft but they're not ruling out the possibility either So you have a whole chapter of your book called Are We Alone in the Universe? So I'm going to ask you, do you think these UFOs are extraterrestrial in nature? Yeah. So first of all, um, that book is a collection of questions we have all had about our place in the universe. And top two or three questions I'm ever asked are, are we alone in the universe? So this is right at the center of people's core of curiosity. That's first. Second. Um, the, the, the universe brims with mysteries and we so want many of those mysteries to be some favored, uh, answer that we might carry. You see a light in the sky. You don't understand. Gee, I want that to be 
aliens visiting us. And so in science, however, you want you look at you, you rank possibilities by likelihood. OK, these Navy videos, you have to ask if they are aliens visiting, why are they only visiting Navy pilots? How about the rest of Earth's surface? There are three billion smartphones on this planet. Each one is a high resolution color camera and video recorder. So basically, <laughs> aliens invasions have been crowdsourced to the population of the planet. If anybody's any alien is landing anywhere, it's going to look what else we have already streamed that used to be rare, but we knew was happening. All right. Like police violence and all of this. If aliens landed, you know, we would have it. It would be viral overnight, but instead there are cat videos that go viral. <laughs> well, Neil, new NASA chief Bill Nelson has said that they're launching their own investigation into the UFOs as well and acknowledges they don't know what they are either. One theory is that the UFOs could be a foreign military aircraft. According to the New York Times, China and Russia have both invested heavily in supersonic technology. From what you've seen, how likely is that and does that theory trouble you? So, first of all, the, of the $600, $700 billion budget of the Pentagon, I would want some fraction of that to, to check out the sky and, and make sure that there, there aren't threats. So I, I'm, I'm happy to have learned that there are government programs investigating these. No problem there. Um, at, by the way, they could be foreign, foreign craft that have achieved some level of aerodynamic sophistication that we have not. I, I'm glad they're looking into that. Totally. I have no problem with that. Now, some of it, I think, is not explained simply by hypersonic technology. Um, there's, there's behavior of these docs. that I don't know what that is. And, you know, my first thought is it's a it's a, some kind of bug or malfunction of the electronics. OK, that's that would be my first thought. Not we're being observed by intelligent aliens from another planet. Now yeah, but that's me. Now, there seems to be growing bipartisan support for more government funding for research into UFOs. But as Republican Senator Marco Rubio has pointed out, a stigma still exists around the issue, which can prompt giggles and eye rolls on Capitol Hill. How do we convince lawmakers to think less in terms of E.T. and more like contact or interstellar? Yeah, I think the way, I, the way to destigmatize it is there are these things showing up in military radar and we don't know what they are. Anyone who is curious, say, let's go try to figure it out. If you lead with the idea that we're being visited by aliens, that's uh, some people have that as their first explanation for what they don't understand. But for a skeptical scientist, that would probably be the last explanation. As Carl Sagan famously said, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence not monochromatic, fuzzy Navy video of something that looks like a Tic Tac. <laughs> One of the great challenges in this world is knowing enough about a subject to think you're right, but not enough about the subject to know you're wrong. All right, welcome back. Um, thank you, Bill, for, for handling that. You did a good job. Uh, let's bring in, there he is. We're back. So I hope you got a chance to listen to that and kind of the irony of how uh, that little clip at the very end. What do you think about that? Yeah, I've seen Neil deGrasse Tyson. I've, I've watched a few of his few of his uh, comments, I guess, on this stuff. I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, th 
I guess I didn't have any big expectations for him to say anything one way or the other. You know, it, it is surprising he's so that throws out that that example you know this is just a, a radar he obviously doesn't know <laughs> what he's talking about right yeah. i should make a video you know like the mick west one like wrong you know neil degrasse tyson i'm coming after you uh exactly yeah i mean i agree he doesn't seem to know uh what he's talking about because he should know it's not just one sensor you know for that like i just said so we had for Chad Underwood, you know, you had the the ship radar, you had the F-18s radar, and then you have the targeting pod. Um, so, yeah, I think he's he kind of comes off to me as your standard, I would say, civilian, okay? Doesn't know really anything about the military. You know, and, and again, I didn't know anything about the military, really, before I joined. Um, mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, it, it's easy to assume that... It, it's easy to come up with a general stereotype of what what you think the people in the military are uh, and then uh, kind of what I enjoyed actually being in the military and, and living around the world uh, was kind of what I did was, was introduce America to other cultures, hopefully for the better um, it, is that you change the stereotypes, you know? So I think it's just, I, I had no expectations. He has the same stereotype I would expect from any other, you know, man of science, I guess. <laughs> I guess. Uh, yeah. But that is, yeah. I think there is, there is a huge blind spot. There is a huge blind spot, uh, especially in the astronomical level. You know, when you when you go to the, using large telescopes, when we're looking out to, to great distances, and it's, it's just very new. You know, I just want everybody to remember that. You know, when did we even, like, start, when did we realize there was, um, you know, the Kuiper belt? You know, or yeah. I, I'm just throwing out these random things. But it's, it's, it's come very soon, you know, and... And I believe we've kind of hit a, a stopping point in our physics. Uh, I've mentioned it um, mm-hmm. a little bit before, uh, but basically, uh, like on the video I, I mentioned today was, was dark energy, right? If you look at, at basically current, current physics now, and the whole time I grew up is, you know, the universe is expanding. Uh, it, it's expanding at a faster rate. This was very surprising for everybody. Uh, and, and basically galaxies move, uh, the way they're moving, there should be like at least twice the mass that there is in these galaxies, right? right. If, if galaxies are the way we understand them to be, gravity's the way we understand to be, then these galaxies should actually be spinning apart, right? All this, all these stars in the outside of these galaxies should just be expanding out because they're, they're spinning faster than all of our math, um, takes into account, and, right. and so what they yeah. do is they, they just add in this other little like fudge factor, right? <laughs> they add in a fudge factor and, and they call it dark energy, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. To make all their math work, to make their math work for how the universe expands, to, 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 to make all of uh, these, these very long, uh, you know, equations, which have like 50 letters in them. Very few people in the world, I think, even really understand them the actual equations and to make these equations work, they add in this fudge factor of dark energy and dark matter. Uh, and, and the number is ridiculous. You know, what is it? 85%. Every time it's like a different number, you know, but they're basically like 85% wrong. I've heard that recently. Uh, (laughs) I heard 95. I went to look on Wikipedia, like what is dark? What do they think actually dark matter makes up of the universe? And it was like 68% of the universe is dark energy. And then 27% 
is dark matter. Uh, so I think that leaves like, I can't do math in public. It's like 8% of the universe is like actual real matter that we understand and can, uh, can interact with. Um, which just is preposterous to me, you know, preposterous, you know, imagine you go to take a test, you know, and they're like, you got an eight, you know, like <laughs> that's not going to pass. You know, you're a physicist, you're 90, you're 92% wrong, you know? Um, and so yeah. I, I think there is a huge gaping hole in, in the whole realm of our understanding of, especially the outer universe, you know, so you get further away from what we can physically touch and what we can physically analyze, uh, it just gets it gets more and more difficult, um, and I think we're at a yeah. definite point. Um, so I was reading something before where, um, if you look back at, at you know history, I guess of science, uh, Aristotle, you know, is kind of like the big first thinker, um, and he came up with this very effective model of how the world works. You know, it was basically based on everything they understood at that time. You know, in in our understanding of of the universe you know it was like you know there's fire you know it's hot so it goes up uh you know there's liquids uh there's earth and then there's animate matter you know i'm not a i don't know his exact um argument but basically it was so successful that they didn't really change anything until galileo you know basically until the middle ages uh, mm-hmm. our understanding or humanity's understanding of science was based on aristotle um, because his things were not wrong. Okay, so if you light something on fire, yes, it will it will get hot, <laughs> right? If something's hotter than something else, it will it will rise. Um, so his his model uh, for the universe was correct for the for the time and and the understanding that we had. Uh, but it was so correct that it lasted for so long that they didn't bother like looking into anything else, you know, or they didn't have the need, yeah. you know. So yeah, they came out with, with like yeah. The Newtonium, same thing. Newton's, you know, Newton's laws. A lot of that's still used today, but a lot of it was inaccurate and used for centuries. You know, it's, it's yeah, fascinating. It, it, it's not even that it's it's not necessarily inaccurate, right? Because if you look at New, Newtonian, so you go Aristotle, essentially, and then you go into, let's say, Newtonian physics. Um, so Newtonian physics, you know, basically the apple falls, uh, that works very well for like orbital mechanics, you know. So if you're talking about making a spacecraft, which hopefully we can do, I can do one day, is it's just Newtonian physics, you know. So to get to the moon, we only needed Newtonian physics. That's why everybody's like, well, how did right. you get to the moon yeah. in '69? Well, yeah. they had a lot of chalkboards, you know, and they were really good at at, at Newtonian math, you know. They were really good at algebra uh, and, and all that stuff, um, but. Newtonian physics will not get you GPS accuracy. So mm-hmm. what I talked about, you know, with this targeting pod, right? When you're talking about a targeting pod and I get that level of accuracy, when I'm that level of pointing accuracy, uh, you need Einstein physics. So you need like electromagnetic, you need uh, ag- very, very accurate INSs, right? That use laser, laser gyros. Um, so you're not, you know, I can't drop a bomb on your feet as I, you know, I said, uh, from miles away with Newtonian physics, you know, mm. that's what we used in World War II. Uh, and it, and that's what, that's how I know all this stuff about like mill sizing, you know, when I'm like, how do we mill size? Um, that's like, you know, the basic bombing is old school uh, military, si- you know, angles and gravity, bom- you know, gravity bombing, gravity bombing, essentially. Um, and that's, that's Newtonian physics. So I just think we've hit a, a stopping point um, to where, 
we're waiting for the next Einstein. Essentially, we're waiting for that next. Uh, we're waiting for the next breakthrough. Um, but as of now, they're just kind of talking BS. Essentially, is is what, what I consider it. You know, their their numbers are way off. You know, they have. I honestly believe we have no clue what we're looking at when we look out into the universe. And I, and I really, yeah. uh, I do think that. Yeah. I, I, I think about that type of things, uh, those type of things quite a bit. And also that if, um, we were to know what all this, you know, this matter or dark matter, or whatever, if we were to figure it out someday, maybe we will. But the fact is that there's research going into it, tons of money going to, into the research, and yet, um, they think it's impossible that we may be visited um, from extraterrestrials, and that it's a silly thing too because they, they they it can't be done. And so, when I brought up that I had uh, Seth Shostak on a couple of times here from the SETI um, Institute, and I asked him the question. I said, "So, you think UFOs are kind of ridiculous, or, or whatever they are? You know, the hubcap in the sky. I can't remember what he said, but." You th- but you think there's something to dark matter and you think there's something to dark energy when you can't reach out and touch it. You know, you say you need to reach out and touch a UFO. But you can't reach out and touch that. No. You know? So there's kind of an irony. You can't there. even detect it. You can't even detect it. Yeah. So uh, they're literally saying there is this there is this thing that we can't interact with. Because it's not real matter. That's that's what they're saying. Um it's not even, yeah, it's, it's, we're like, we, we will never be able to detect it ultimately. Um, but you bring up a great point. You're right. I mean, look at all the evidence, you know, if, and that's what the Fravor really did is I was, and it's still ongoing. Like, I don't fully believe, you know, I said this, um, I think it's a process for people to kind of go into this changing of your worldview. Um, you know, but basically there is a lens, you know, it, Anyone who says they're not biased is 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 just literally wrong, like physically wrong. You know, our brains will all put a filter in front of us. You know, our brains are processing all of our information. Um, and as pilots, again, you become very attuned to this uh, of what your brain is being, pro- you know, what information you're receiving, what information you're processing and when it's wrong, you know, because ultimately you could die or, or someone else you could die. So you, you become very attuned to, to like uh, information that we're processing. And what you realize, I mean, we're all biased in some point. Uh, but when Fravor, when I was able to, I guess, listen to his words and, and imagine I was there, uh, it, it, it made it possible. <laughs> you know, it made it possible in my brain. And with that now, it's almost like a filter is removed. And now when I go back and I look at old cases, you know, I was looking at um, Glenn Davis. Have you seen that interview? It's uh, it's in the National Archives. Uh, he was a coroner in Roswell. Oh, um, yes. I saw he, that. Yeah. He was a contractor. Yeah. It gives a very compelling um, interview. You know, uh, why would this man lie about, you know, these seeing these aliens with such specific detail? And, and, and again, if, you know, we put people to death for witness testimony, but this is not good enough for these scientists, you know, because, and yet dark energy, you know, they will know, here's another one. I'm sure I'm going to get heat for this one, but so they, they literally claim to know, claim to know when the beginning of the universe is. I mean, just think about this, right? I mean, we can, half the people in America don't even believe in evolution. 
you know, or whatever the numbers, it was exceptionally high uh, when I've looked in the past, but, and, and we're here on the planet uh, and we can find evidence, you know, um, same thing. We don't know what these UAPs are, right? It's been 70 years. We still can't figure out what these UAPs are. And yet our scientists say that they know within a few, whatever million years that we know when the beginning of the universe is, you know, and yeah, I don't I've know. Asked, it's hard for I've me to take them seriously, actually, after that. Well, I've taken, um, I've asked that to every single astronomer that I've had on this show, which has been quite a number over the years. I've asked them, do you think it's possible that the Big Bang Theory could be wrong? And so far, every one of them has said, uh, no, all the evidence that we have points to that. And so, and then the next question I always ask them after that is, uh, what do you think uh, was before the Big Bang? You know, yes. what was what was before that? And uh, a lot of them, I think two or three of them have said they, they think that is the beginning of time, which um, is another mind-boggling. I mean, it is mind-boggling. <laughs> yes. and, and I'm sure the real answer, whatever the real answer may be, is going to be mind-boggling. You know? Yeah, the, the whole Big Maybe. Bang, it, it sounds too much to me like the, the end of the map just falls into, you know, there's a waterfall and it goes into like, you know, dragons at the bottom. <laughs> That's just what I see. You know, when humans looked out, when we looked out and we saw like the end of the, the, the ocean, you know, and we just imagined, oh, it must just drop off. Yeah. You know? Not that we're on a ball, right? Not that it's on, we're on a curved surface, which, which is mind blowing. Um, you know, if you actually think that that is the reality, if you could imagine, you know, you really thought the earth was flat and all of a sudden everyone's telling you it's round. Yeah. You know, it took 150, it did take 150 years for us to kind of, to humanity, I guess, to internalize this. Maybe it just takes 150 years for us to like internalize alien life. Um, yeah. Well, I, I think there are a lot of a lot of astrophysicists that I have spoken to um, do believe there's you know a really really strong chance that there is intelligent life out there. Um, but but they'll, then they always follow it up with the distances are too far to get here. And the yes. distances are totally vast. I totally understand that. But again, we're talking about physics. Maybe there's something about physics that we haven't discovered yet that can make the difference. I mean, uh, without a doubt. Um, just look at it this way. So it, as you go smaller, um, the physics totally changes, right? So there's physics at our level. But now you go down to the size of an ant, right? So imagine an ant and, and in a little water droplet. So if, you know, you can trap an ant in a water droplet, right? And now just, just the water tension on that little water droplet can trap that ant. So yes. basically you have, you have arguably the strongest creature, you know, one of the strongest creatures on, on our planet, essentially, for body weight. And they can be trapped by just a droplet of water um, because, you know, the physics at that size is, is totally different. You know, your hypertension of the water is strong compared to an ant. Whereas an ant, one of the strongest animals, you know, has no problem outside of that. And, and that's just, if you go to that level. So now you go down even further and it gets even weirder, right? It gets, it gets much weirder. If we go down to quantum physics, essentially the physics are totally different. You know, if yeah. you look at all your quantum physics is like, it literally is another world, you know? So if, yeah. as we're peering down further and further into uh, I call it another dimension, actually, is you're looking down into 
the quantum realm, I, I believe you're looking into, we're looking into another dimension. And there is actually where the physics are totally different. So now you, you know, you have two particles, you have the Heisenberg uncertainty principle, right? You, anything you look at, uh, essentially, as soon as you look at it, it does it's not there anymore, all right? Because yeah. you stopped it. There's so many weird things, quantum entanglement, uh, just, um, just solid state physics, you know? I don't think anyone really understands, you know, how a photon does not actually go from one place to the next or, or an electron, you know, it doesn't go from one energy state of an atom and, and smoothly literally go to the next energy state. Uh, you know, it jumps. That's why it's called quantum. Um, so your physics literally completely changes as we go smaller, right into the quantum realm. But now as we go bigger, we, ex we expect this physics to be exactly the same as what we are, what we have at this level. And, and it, it, as you go slow, as you go smaller, it does not make, right. It totally changes. So why do we expect as we go bigger that the, uh, that the physics would be, would be the same, you know, it's completely different any other, any other way. So that's uh, why I would say. I thought of it exactly like that. That's interesting. Um, so I want to talk about some of the videos. First of all, when you were looking at these videos as a pilot, um, what was your first, were you shocked by some of the things you were seeing? It, yeah. I mean, it's the, the, the video I made was literally the, I was shocked in that video. I wasn't acting, <laughs> you know, it was basically late at night. I'm filming the video and I'm just like, you know, I watched Lou Elizondo and he's, he's on 60 minutes and he said basically all the capabilities these things had. And they said they were tracked by multiple sources, you know, where that's where that kind of cued me was, you know, they've declassified this. They said it's uh, been tracked by multiple sources um, and they have a video <laughs> as well, plus along with with Fravor's account. So. So for me, honestly, I'm still kind of processing it, you know, for for a week, I just kind of just walked around like outside you know just looking up like man am i being followed or something you know i i don't know there, there is a weird mental process as you go through this um of seeing these videos but the weirdest part was that gimbal video right so i'm you know i'm researching analyzing the gimbal video for 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 my video and i and i i've seen it i've watched that video so many times at that point that i could see it you know i could kind of see the image like i said you kind of meld you know I, it's in infrared it looks blurry to you guys but i, I see much more um, and so I tried to find a photo of it, you know, I was like, Hey, this is what I think it looks like. So I, I was looking around on the internet to try and find an actual image. And I thought it'd be easy. You know, I was like, Hey, it looks like a flying saucer, you know, like the one you see everywhere. But when I started looking, I couldn't find like a drawing of it. There was no good drawing of this flying saucer. You know, I was like, no, 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 you know? Uh, so the only, the best actual, uh, picture of it was, you know, from a 1952 photo, you know, it's this black and white photo. It has the, the flying saucer at an angle. There's like a tree. I don't know. Maybe it's a famous one. Um, and I was like, that's it. You know, that is, the, <laughs> that's what I'm seeing in the gimbal. And that like, that blew me away. You know, I just, I just couldn't believe it. Cause I, I looked through for like 20 minutes. I looked online, you know, cause you, you know, as a creator, you're always, sometimes you're looking for these random things. Yep. Uh, and it's I just couldn't find it. I think what you're describing there, is the Billy Meyer photo, um, which ends up being, uh, I mean, it, it's a great looking photo, but I think, I mean, I'll have, you'll have to send is me that picture. Is it fake? <laughs> Watch it be a fake. <laughs> I, 
You're like, damn it, after this last you know. week, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. But but um, let's talk about, um, let's talk about, we have, we have about seven or eight minutes and we're going to start taking calls. And I do apologize tonight for the people in uh, chat. I haven't been able to ask any of your questions. I apologize, but you'll get a chance to call in in a few minutes coming up. Um, but in uh, next week, I should have a power pack for my computer if I have to be out here again at the boat. So um, let's talk about, how you analyze i i watched your on the omaha uh video the other day as well uh and out of all the videos that you looked through and you tried to do your work on what do you think is the most astounding out of all of them that you've looked at in these four or five videos maybe more i guess for most astounding uh I mean that. So I was just looking again at. I originally kind of discounted the FLIR video, um, but then you know I, I I changed changed my mind a little bit because you can clearly see at the end uh, the maneuver that thing does is we can't we can't do that. It just cannot be done. You know. I guess you could say the gimbal. The gimbal is unbelievable, right? Like I just said, like it's a flying saucer. I see it levitating, but I guess like. Yep. I guess you could somehow like fake that maybe the end of the day you have some gravity. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, it, it's not doing any like crazy ping pong maneuvers that I would like to see. You know, when Fravor talks about this, he says it moves, you know, when he originally talks about the Tic Tac, he says it moves without inertia. Yeah. You know, and, and I totally know what that, I think that would look like you hold a, you know, a laser, uh, like a laser pointer you know, a cat, if you move that around, it's almost like these things are moving around um, almost like laser pointers are bouncing around. Um, which again, I've had a weird thought, it, it, you know, I've thought a lot about what these things uh, could possibly be. Um, and when I first heard Fravor, you know, the impression I got, basically how the thing flew, my, <laughs> my initial impression was like intergalactic B. Like, that's kind of what I thought, you know, this, it feels like a bee that's just out there kind of foraging around and then we get too close to it and it like, just like flies off, you know, uh, I don't know if that's, if that's any way the case, but that's kind of the impression I get, um, is that. I actually you know, get what, <laughs> it, it was reacting kind of like an insect in a way it sounded like. It, yeah, I don't know. It, it and that's what I guess I would expect alien life to be like. You know, we always, we get these, uh, and that's where I kind of thought, I always discounted like the gray alien, you know, kind of uh, argument is that it's just too convenient. You know, it just seems way too convenient uh, that alien life would, would even be remotely uh, close to us. You know, it would be shaped like us or have the same, you know, you could argue the grays are, are you know, whatever, very different. But it was almost too convenient for me um, to where I think it feels more like real alien life to have this kind of thing that doesn't really interact with us because it doesn't really know what we are. Um, you know, maybe it's not. It doesn't have all those capabilities to, to actually think. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it isn't super intelligent life. Maybe we're just seeing, you know, life, you know, alien life. Um, yeah. Or, um, you know, the technology, a lot of, a lot of people have, when they, comes to the drones i mean when it comes to the technology of the uh things like the tic tac for instance uh, and what it was doing are you know make the suggestion that it could be yes it could be alien technology possibly and maybe it's a drone 
um, which I thought was an interesting take on that, you know, and that. Yeah, the Von Neumann drums. Yeah. Yeah. And then one of, you know, uh, when I, I talked about Seth Shostak earlier, when he was on the show, he suggested that if there was ever any alien life here coming here to visit, it would have to be technological like a drone uh, because, uh, you know, the the time distance and, you know, the, the thousands of years it would take, et cetera. And, yeah. you know, I mean, I, th- th- there could be an argument for that. But again, going back, there could be something about physics, as I said earlier, that we haven't figured out yet as well. Well, I was watching a recent uh, interview recently. I'm sorry, I can't uh, tell you exactly. Um, but basically, they were saying that the the time dilation works both ways. So if you were to go, say you were, tr- you could travel at a 10th, the speed of light. Um, so it, from an outside observer, yes, it would take you say 20,000 years to reach whatever Alpha Centauri, or, you know, but that's probably, probably too much. Uh, but actually for you, it would only be like 30 or 40 years because since you're traveling so fast, your time, it gets crunched essentially. So for you, it's only like 30 or 40 years, you know, so, you know, you could have that these, let's say aliens, even with our current understanding of physics, they're just traveling very fast, one tenth the speed of light. Um, It takes them 30 years to get here. But now you just say, yeah, I'm never going back to my home planet. Yeah. Um, Which which is interesting. We, We could do that, right? We could take a big ship, go, it would take 30 years, right? You go suspended animation. Yeah, it's two hundred thousand years back uh, back on Earth, but um, you know, whatever, moving to a new new planet. So, oh, uh, sorry, uh, I was panicking. My, uh, my my inflatable was gone, but it was just it's around the other side of the boat. <laughs> Someone stole your uh, your dinghy. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I'd be stranded out here on the boat forever. But I honestly, I hope they release a lot more information. You know, I think um, I think they can for sure. You can always release those targeting pod videos. I mean, and if you yeah. look, it's it's they have the they have the video. I you know when I when I flew, I would start my tapes. You know, we call them tapes because in the past we used to use actual tape. Um, so you would have to actually turn them off and turn them back on. So right before you go to an engagement, you would turn it on because your tape would run out. Um, but now we have digital tapes. Um, yep. So maybe for the Nimitz, you know, they don't have that much time. It sounds like they had a lot more. But for the more recent, like, you know, the Roosevelt uh, or the Omaha, if they, you know, if there's any planes that had any data from the Omaha, they're going to have their their tapes running the whole time. You know, that I would love they'll... to see the next 20 seconds yeah. of that go fast. Like the next 20 seconds of that go fast video, I could clench it, you know, like. I wonder what happens because I know they're they're merging. You know they're merging with this thing. So what happens after? You know what what does it yeah. do? Is it just continue? Did they follow it? Um, you know these engagements are long. Like, you know air engagements are are sh- they're short, but they're still several minutes. You know and and these things aren't going fast. You look at the go fast thing; it's going like 0.8 Mach. Like we can keep up with that. So they could have yeah. easily followed this thing for you know many many minutes, like 20 minutes, 30 minutes until they ran out of fuel. Um, well, that's, so hopefully, that's the, it, yeah. yeah, that's a strange thing about because I've I've talked about this before that they're not, um, you know, like, for instance, I know you're going to do the deep dive into the Nimitz and maybe I can help you with that with some of the people I know. Um, but um, we do have uh, looks like we do have a we might have some calls coming in or we may have a caller coming in soon. 
Um, and the number's up on the screen, 855-472-5483. The bill will be screening, and Bill will be doing a lot of work tonight. Um, but um, uh, I forget exactly the train of thought I was on before I saw this whole, whole screen flash around. Um, do you remember yeah, exactly well. what I was? Yeah. <laughs> there was a point I was making, and I apologize for that uh, with the technical issues here. Uh yeah, I guess anyway. as far as I hope they they release more information. I mean, that should be the the primary goal. You know, we it's kind of like sharks with blood in the water. I, I mean, I, I kind of get that feeling. I hope that's the case because they they you know they said the f word in front of mom. You know, they said we have this data. We have eighty yeah. cases of you know corroborated multiple sensor data. We have eleven. You know, we have 18 where it's actually maneuvering crazy, right? So the flare video, what I finally finished on is, is that's a, that's, that's a dynamic maneuvering. I think they, they say in, in the report, basically it's doing maneuvers that we can't under, we can't understand and we can't explain them. Um, gimbal yeah. as well, just because it has no, uh, it has no propulsion, signs of propulsion. Uh, yeah. As well. I mean, so, that is, that's gotta be one of the most puzzling things. There's no heat coming off of it there's no you know propulsion or no rotor wash or anything like that we have a caller from virginia welcome to the show caller hi thank you chris how are you great yeah welcome thank you for the interview um i just wanted to ask you a question about the radar and you mentioned on your screen something about 99 and how it wasn't the the lock system wasn't able to lock in on the UFO and it was saying something like R99. My question is, and I think that means it's jamming the radar signal. So my question is, how often would that occur when you're flying your uh, the the jet? I mean, how often would a radar jam like that if you're locking in on like a friendly craft or something? Has that ever happened to you before, where the system failed on you? Uh, yeah, I mean it happens. It happens a lot. I wouldn't say um, I wouldn't say all the time, but especially if they're emitting energy, you know. So, uh, so we have our radars actually hop. You know, they hop frequencies, and that's so they can be against jamming, right? Because you know, it, the best way to jam is I just put out noise on your frequency. You know, if we're talking right now and I play a loud radio, uh, you know, no one's going to be able to hear what we're talking about. Um, so. The radar and and it actually hops um, hops different frequencies. Um, so, but what happens is when we're fighting each other, right? Because we, we're always training against each other, we're always getting co-channel interference, right? So you're always having an F-16 radar is 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 uh, targeting an F-16. Uh, the radars will actually interfere. So what we do is we lock. We tell our we tell our red air. So who's training to be the red fighters? Uh, we tell them to to lock right. their radar into a certain frequency, right? And then we just avoid that one. Um, and so this, it, it's it's common to get radar interference, you know, like anything else, like like calm interference. You know, you listen to any any radio, you hear that stuff in the background. So this is, it's all in the environment as well. So you have all this electromagnetic energy just in the environment as well that, that the radar has to deal with it. Um, so anytime it, it's, um, you know, um, so the point is, it, it's still weird, right? Because I'm expecting, uh, I'm expecting to see a range there if, if it's from an object. 
And and so the fact that you, you get champions, range. It, all it means, I think, all I really read from this is that the the radar energy that's that's ending up back into the radar has been modified in some way that the radar doesn't understand. And if the if the pulse, right, because the radars, they're going to send out pulses in a pulse train. They send out in, in, in their frequency. They send it out. It's a coded pulse, right? So they know, hey, uh, my radar, I send out five pulses, right? And when it comes back, it has six pulses. They're like, eh, jamming, right? All, all the radar is saying is that it doesn't understand what it's receiving back, and it thinks the signal has been uh, messed with. So it could be you can receive this from co-channel interference, um, or you can receive it from the actual energy being um, changed when it comes back, and that's more the impression I get. It, I don't know if they're actively jamming. You know, Chad Underwood says that. Uh, my own feeling from it is that it's just not reflecting off of this stuff, or it's or it's changing it somehow. It's it, we're not getting a, a clean hit bouncing off of something. It's it's being modified. Well, anything else, caller? That's just a lot to take in. No, thank you. <laughs> everything you said, because I was. I hope that answered your question. I mean, you, you're just too. No, I mean, you you answered it, but I mean, that was just a really complicated answer because I mean, I wanted you to just say. I mean, you said at some point in there that you expected it to catch the range, and yes. when you said that, but then you also said that it also hops. And and I get that, but that's conflicting to me. If you're locked in and you have the range, why would it why would it be skipping? I mean, it shouldn't say R ninety nine, right? I mean, it should lock in, tell you the distance, and I mean, that's that. It should, yeah. It, but it 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 okay. doesn't do it every time. What I, what I'm explain, trying to explain is that uh, the the radar energy that went back into the radar was changed. We, uh, that's what I that's what I read from that. So I don't know. Underwood said it's from jamming before. Um, and, and what's interesting to me is that there's no radar uh, in all of the engagements. You know, Underwood says that he was able to get a lock to get there. Um, but what that tells me is that it's difficult to track or it breaks it breaks the locks. All right. Well, we have right, another caller. Great. Thank thank no, you so much. <laughs> We have a couple of callers online, and uh, we have two coming up from North Carolina. The first one is Rich. Welcome to the show, Rich. Uh, thank you. Uh, this question may. This question, can you hear me? Yes, yes we, we can hear you, Rich. Thank you. Yeah, this question may be related to uh, what was already mentioned, uh, but in the nine-page report, there was a mention that there was RF that were detected by some of the military sensors that was emanating from, I forgot which of the objects or maybe all of them. Is there any evidence that you know of that these objects were being controlled externally as drones or were communicating like when it was said, there's a whole fleet of them. Was there any information that there was electromagnetic uh, uh, going back between the objects themselves? I don't. I haven't seen anything. Yeah, I can hear you. Uh, I haven't seen any. I haven't seen any indication that um, you know, or any knowledge that they're like communicating with each other. The only thing I could see is like the flashing. You know, if you look at like Jeremy Corbell's the optical video uh, or the triangle video, um, it seems like there's one Mm -hmm. flashing 
Uh, and then there's two others that are just sitting there, you know? And so that seems interesting to me. Like, is, is that some form of communication actually? Um, right. And then like, yeah, like I just I mentioned, yeah, RF energy. I looked as well because they don't, they don't nail that down anywhere. Uh, all I, all I saw yeah, is in the UAP that, report. That it, yeah. They just say that's in a few, a few instances, uh, radar frequency energy is, uh, is being emitted. So that could be what you're seeing from that 99.9. Uh, so you're, you're not getting that a range. Be the interference. Exactly. Yeah. So the, the radar is receiving energy is what it's, it's what it's saying, right? It was, it's attempting to arrange this thing and it can't either with a, I didn't see a laser firing. I, I still haven't seen a laser valid laser ranging either, which is also interesting to me. Right. Yeah. Um, well, maybe yeah, more, you know, uh, hopefully next month. I hope so. Yeah. Thanks for calling. Okay, yeah, thanks thank a lot. I appreciate enjoying the show. Thank so. you. Thank you, Rich. Now we have Jonathan from North Carolina. Welcome to the show, Jonathan. Hey, thank you. Um, I Hi have there. a question. Go ahead. I, read, I wanted to get your thoughts on an article I read on the war zone. Hello, can you hear me? Yes. Yeah, yeah which article? Okay. Yeah. And it was basically saying, like, if you exclude some of the more spectacular incidents like the Tic Tac and others where they have these you know, amazing flight characteristics, but if you take other instances like the Omaha event where you're basically seeing these lights in the sky that are hovering, and his hypothesis was basically these are Russians or the Chinese. And then my question was, when you were flying training missions, did you ever get briefings where people would say, hey, we think it's likely the Chinese or Russians are flying little things out there. Just beware of them. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I flew in Europe. I don't remember a lot of specific instances. You know, mo most of it would just be international waters, right? So anywhere outside of 12 miles from, you know, land, it's free. It's free waters. <laughs> so all you have to do is put a little Chinese fishing trawler out there uh, or a Soviet fishing boat, you know, and now you can start picking up all of our information and, you know, listening to radio frequencies. And so I'm sure without a doubt, um, you know, there's all these fishing boats out there, you know, greater than 12 miles off, off the of land. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm sure they're looking yeah, for, was, you know. Okay. I was just curious if you'd ever been made aware of that or if that was something on your own minds. Yeah. Again, I mean, these, these, they're not messing around. You know, the whole, the mission is, is very uh, intense. Everyone on that, everyone in, you know, the military takes it very seriously, especially the pilots, you know, and yeah, all the operators on the ships. I mean, yeah. And that's it, right. That's the enemy, Russia, China, you know, if anyone didn't know, that's who we're training against. Um, so I'm pretty sure that's who we are trying to watch, um, you know, and I'm sure right now our intelligence agencies or at least considering, is could this be, you know, Russia or China? It, it, but in the report, right, they say it's not. <laughs> so, obviously, yeah, they, they somehow right. know. Um, All right, Jonathan, thanks so much for the call. All right, thank you. Yeah, thanks. All right, Tom. next we have John calling from California. Welcome to the show, John. You're on the air. Thank you, Martin. Hey, Chris. Uh, thanks. Uh, thanks for uh, coming on today. I really. Uh, enjoy your YouTube videos and your expert analysis. I just have a, like an opinion question for you because you're, you're Air Force. 
Uh, and you might have been asked this before, and I think you touched on this briefly on one of your videos, but the Navy has come forward with a lot of info over the, the last, especially since 2017. How come the Air Force, in your opinion, uh, has been you know, pretty silent on, on UAPs. Uh, do you have a, do you have an opinion on that? I mean, uh, it just seems like, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're the ones that protect our airways and these things are in the air mainly. So, uh, uh, do you have any opinion on it? Seems the airports is awful quiet on this. It is. Yeah. I mentioned a couple of times, right? I think Chris Mellon in his first, uh, something he wrote, Oh, it was his expectations for the UAP report. I remember I read that. Uh, and he mentioned that, the Air Force didn't even start a UAP, you know, process or UAP reporting process until November 2020. You know, essentially when Marco Rubio, the Senate Intelligence Act said, you know, you have to do this report. That's when the Air Force started. Uh, and then he mentioned it again in this most recent, his response to UAP report when he said, you know, bureaucratic uh, issues essentially are just are hurting it. Um I, I, you know, I've been thinking about that. I have a couple like theories again, just uh, guesses essentially. Um, well, the first thing is the Navy has amazing radar tech. You know, they really have all the radars. They have, you, you know, we have airborne, we have AWACS uh, as well. But AWACS is a very, it's an old radar. You know, it, it's one of those things. It's like Aristotle. You know, we, we were talking about Martin. Uh, he was uh, the the AWACS was so um, successful that we haven't really upgraded it, you know? So we've had the same kind of spinning um, system, I don't know, 40 years uh, for the AWACS, where if you look at the Navy, so they have just, um, they have unbelievable system. You know, they have Aegis cruisers, the Princeton, you, this SPY uh, one radar. Uh, th I've worked with that actually. I've, I've tried to attack Aegis cruisers. I was running exercise, my last job um, in NATO where you try and attack an Aegis cruiser, which is a terrible idea, right? With, with, uh, with planes, um, those things are really amazing. And so they have all these upgraded radar technologies um, that, that, are, that are actually pointing them out. You know, you look at the Nimitz is they were vectored there from their radar when they had the new upgrade on their Navy radar. So that, that's one thing is we just don't have those radar. We don't have those systems. Um, yeah. Uh, 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 and the second one is, I uh, just to finish. Uh, the second thing is what I've also noticed is, you know, if you look where they're seeing these these uh, these UAP sightings, it's really around their nuclear reactors. Um, you know, the Theodore Roosevelt. You got to remember these ships are out there. They're traveling around with nukes. You know, running nukes. You got these submarines under the under the water with nukes, and then you also have all the ICBMs. Supposedly, you know, Chris Mellon was also he was really adamant on that. Is what's up with the the supposed reports of these ICBMs going offline. Um, so I think that may also be another instance is uh, maybe they're drawn to these nuclear reactors. You know, maybe that's why they followed the Roosevelt because they're like, hey, what are these people doing? Um, literally. Uh, and so that that's that's another that's another instance. And the final is I mentioned in my last video that the Air Force is just a bureaucratic mess right now. You know, they, the last 10 years, 10 years ago, we were the best. Uh, and then they cut like 20% of our people. And we said, hey, we're going to fire all of our admin administrators and we're going to do uh, digital. <laughs> and and it just, it, it did not work. And it's just been a total train wreck. So honestly, our bureaucratic processes in the Air Force are just a, a total train wreck. It would take, it, it literally takes like your four-star general to say, hey, go do this. And a lot of times they can't make it happen. 
<laughs> and so they have to keep trying. So I guess those three things, if that answers your question. It, it certainly does, Chris. Thanks so much for your clarity. That's uh, Those three things were excellent answers. And uh, keep doing the videos, buddy. We really appreciate it. Uh, awesome, man. No, thanks for the support. Thanks a lot. I appreciate yeah. it. Thanks, Mark. Yeah, um, thank you for that and uh, for that call. We have uh, Mike coming up at just one minute. I wanted to have you, if you would, put out there how people can see your YouTube channel. It is, I do believe I have it in the in the show notes. If not, it will be in. But um, yeah, it's, uh, it's Chris Lato. It's your name, right? Yeah, I didn't want to like try and rebrand or something. So I just went with my name, which worked. So. Yeah, yeah Chris Lato, L-E-H-T-O. It's Finnish. It's spelled the wrong way. I was considering changing it. The H comes before the T. Yeah, I'm just going to try and make, uh, I'm trying to make more videos, actually. You know, it's, um, the deep analysis videos are just, you know, my brain hurts afterwards. Uh, but I'm trying just to get just more, uh, make it more informal, I guess. Uh, I just can't do a deep analysis video every week, man. I'll go crazy, you know, so. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Now we have uh, Mike from Long Island on the line. Mike, you're alive. Welcome to the show. How you doing, Chris? Uh, hey, hi, Mike. Welcome. I'm the guy. I'm, I'm the guy that sent you the uh, Washington D.C. info. Uh, from oh, nice. The getting images. Uh, Thank. Yeah. What's your? Uh, yeah, I, I meant to uh, give you props, but thanks. Yeah. I uh, know it was great that you uh, actually took a look at that. And as a newbie in the U- UFO area, uh, you know, there's an awful lot in this field. Uh, that you can kind of go down rabbit holes on. And I'm just wondering, at the moment, with your military background and as a pilot, you're looking at like the NIM, you know, the, the three videos, the Nimitz, the Go Fast, the Fleer. Uh, but are you prepared, <laughs> I'll say mentally prepared, uh, to get into other areas? Uh, and what I'm thinking of is uh, in the, I would say uh, from the perspective of really weird stuff, uh, there are at least three very close uh, encounters uh, with actual beings sighted. One, And these are in uh, James Fox's documentary, The Phenomenon. Uh, there's one in Papua New Guinea back in the late 50s, early 60s, I recall, there's uh, one in Zimbabwe or Rhodesia, as it was, I think, back then at a school. Hundreds of, uh, you know, uh, witnesses to this. Uh, and then there's another one in an Australian school where there is, again, dozens and dozens, if not a hundred eyewitnesses to very close craft, you know, like 50 yards away, stationary. Uh, with uh, beings associated with them, are you are you are you prepared to get into that stuff? <laughs> I mean, I'm uh, I'm preparing. I'm preparing. Well, I may I interject something? Um, I, yes. Really. I think you are. From what I'm seeing so far, uh, I'm seeing that you're looking more into what you have an expertise in, uh, which is flying and the equipment involved, and and not so much about the other things I'm, I'm maybe I'm talking for you. Maybe I'm totally out of character, 
but is that is that where that's where I'm seeing you focus on? At I, this point, I right? like the. I think it's the most. It's the area where I can, I can contribute the most. Right. I think you know, um, and it's the part I know. You know, like I. So from my perspective, just what I believe, I guess at this point, um, you know, I believe what Fravor says. You know, I believe what he says. I believe what he saw, yeah. and so I'm really going from that angle. You know, and so I I believe that that incident happened. Um, and you know, but then you start, so yeah, I am reading on the side, you know, I'm reading several books, you know, healing, uh, what are healing stories of abduction, you know, I'm reading that. Um, and it, yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy how much evidence there is, you know, but that's, that's kind of the problem that there is, there's so much evidence yes. that it's overwhelming. So like you, you, you go to step into this world, you know, I'm just walking along, like I'm this YouTuber, you know, I'm retired, just living with my family. You know, I walk into this UAP kind of discussion. Um, and then you see, there's just so much, there's so much evidence behind. Um, it's either a zero or a one, you know, it's like, do you believe, <laughs> do you believe or not? Um, and at this point, I, I believe in the Fravor stuff. I believe in the Tic Tac, um, the Omaha stuff is very compelling. So I'm just focusing on that, you know, and I have my email, I just, you know, whatever the aliens again, uh, they can reach me at my email. They know my YouTube channel. Uh, yeah. 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 We have one more call. Thanks for that call. Um, just to let you know, I was the first one to interview. Um, thank you. I was the first one to interview Chris Mellon and um, on this topic. And it was, it was very interesting. And, and basically Chris and I were communicating a lot and there was some, I, I want to say there was some rabbit holes that he could have fallen into in the very beginning when, because it doesn't matter how brilliant you are um, and, and what you know, you can still fall into these things if you don't, if you haven't been around it long enough. So, um, you know, I'll offer this to you, of course, if you have any questions, I'd be glad to help. Um, in regards yeah, to excellent. the rabbit hole 400 and, 464 shows because we were talking before i kind of wanted to ask uh how you've done it for so long i mean yeah i want to interview yeah. you i guess well we don't have well, time but thank you yeah you're welcome to i'd be glad to come on your you can interview me that'd be fun so we have one more caller um for, we have rob from florida rob welcome to the show good evening martin it's uh, great to talk to you and i was just in maine enjoying your wonderful seafood uh oh, colonel yeah. Lato, uh welcome to the uap uh, community yeah yeah and thank you welcome. oh you bet uh the question i have you know uh commander fravor stated that the minute they painted that target with their radar that they immediately were jammed and the Wizzo in his backseat, are they able to determine what frequencies they were being jammed with or receiving at that time? Um, so we couldn't tell. So the, the only thing, so the, the radars are programmed with different uh, key processing, right? So they'll know, I was a, actually an electronic attack expert uh, in the aggressors, you know, so I was like really deep into the, the beeps and squeaks. Um, but basically, the radar, it will have cues, you know, built into the processing to say, okay, if you see this, it means uh, they're trying to use a range gate pull off on you. They're trying to use a program to, uh -huh. to, to trick your radar in range. You know, that's one way you, you, you tell the radar, Hey, wow. I'm not, I'm not 10 miles away from you. I'm 20 miles. And then now your radar is looking in the wrong spot. 
um, or it changes an angle. So it'll say, hey, I'm not this angle from you, I'm this angle. Um, and so the radars, they're programmed, when they see that, it trips it. Um, but they're not that smart, especially not back in, in 2004. So I, I think what it means is they don't, the radar does not understand the pulse that came back. The pulse that came back was changed. It's, it was either changed on purpose by the object, you know, to denote like it, they jammed me, you know, an act of war. Uh, you know, I would, jam, I would jam a Russian aircraft if I saw it, you know, uh, but jamming, uh, probably not actually. Uh, but jamming would mean that it, it may have just done it by accident or just by the nature. Um, you know, if you tried to lock water, it would give you a weird response. Um, so I, I think that's it. You you can't confirm that it is jamming. When they say I was jammed, what I actually read as an electronic attack expert <clears throat> is that the radar pulse was changed. That, I, that's all I know for sure. It's just it's very uh, it's very interesting that there's no radar lock in any of the uh, videos and there's no laser ranging, um, you know, cause it, if I don't have a radar lock, but I have a targeting pod lock, man, I'm squeezing that trigger to get a laser. You know, I'm shooting a laser at this thing for sure to get the range, you know, because you're basically, if you don't know the range, you're, you feel as a pilot, like I'm missing something, you know, um, something's missing. Something very critical is missing <laughs> is uh, the range. So that's all I would say is, the energy has been changed. We don't know if it's on purpose. The radar, maybe it says it's on purpose, but it's really just some processing in the radar that, that could be incorrect. Well, we are at the end of our show. So, Rob, thank you for the call. Oh, uh, you bet, right. Martin. Always a pleasure. Right. Yeah, thanks, thank Rob. You. Sorry, I hope that answered it. Yeah. yeah, so we are out of time. So thank you so much, uh, Chris. It's been a real pleasure. Let's keep in touch. And again, I'd be glad to help you with whatever questions you have that I can help you with i'd be very happy to excellent a lot of people check out your videos and i hope you keep having the energy to do more because they're really great so yeah uh, i appreciate all the support from everybody i mean it it does help and yeah that it does help (laughs) so i'll continue doing it you know if people are if they're excited about it then it it does rub off you know it it rubs off the uh, the excitement and and it is tough getting like all the haters but uh whatever i haven't gotten many (laughs) lately so yeah yeah all right, and uh, next week we have Chris Sparklon. I said that by accident last week, but uh, I had the wrong Chris uh, when I was talking. So here we are out in Maine, and thanks so much for joining the show, and we'll see you next week. And remember to keep your eyes to the sky.